If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, I think another kind of interesting part of Sonic Youth is the fact you can't try and be cool. Clearly, it, oh fuck, it's such a, an exhaustingly nebulous subject. Yeah, it's become fucking, the words become meaningless to me now. <laughs> yeah, you can't try and be it. What I think is fascinating, right, is that in 2008, Sonic Youth released a best of called Hits Are For Squares on Starbucks Records, right? Now, Sonic Youth are still cool as fuck. Sonic yeah. Youth could walk into any fucking venue uh, like in this city and sell it out including mm. the biggest ones you know what I mean they just could especially if it was a comeback show yeah. they are still untouchably cool but they released a fucking best of on Starbucks records and then the likes of their music's been in a Marc Jacobs advert for Daisy is it anything more fucking lame yeah. than doing music for a perfume advert and to be fair it was Teenage Riot that was in that and their fans were fucking pissed about that uh, Calvin Klein they were like Kim Gordon's been in Calvin Klein adverts Kim Gordon's been in Yves Saint Laurent adverts Kim Gordon and weirdly Cal McLaughlin were in a, an advertising campaign for Ugg boots mm-hmm. I mean how fucking lame is that yet still they have managed to retain cool their cool was so fucking profound and resilient that they managed to do all these tragic fucking things and still stay cool yeah well I mean those things aren't tragic though those things are cool do you know what I mean no do not fucking like, advert for no, yeah but no but to certain like, people like, like, that yeah. is cool yeah that's what I was going to say like commercially that's cool it's like it's you, not- you, you, you can imagine the ad exec going <laughs> Oh fuck man, Kim Gordon wants to be in this advert, that's cool as fuck, people are going to love it and people are going to buy this because people have automatically cottoned on to the cynical fact that shit, we've got a new audience automatically now guys, fucking See, more money People for still us. think Bugattis and Lamborghinis are cool, you know that's... By the way, Kim Gordon is a fucking obsessive about car adverts, uh-huh. she studied art when she was younger and she thinks our car adverts are like one of the highest forms of art. Um, but <laughs> seriously, well, uh, but I think it's more complicated than that, right? I think the thing is that those adverts aren't actually cool. Well, I they're think, not. They're definitely they're they're the tragically sign, uncool. The, the, yeah, yeah. They're the sign of an aging person mm. thinking they've got enough collateral, cool collateral, cool collateral uh, to, to be able to do these things. And they're right. 
they are right because their audience is so married to them as an identity Mm -hmm. thing that they're willing to look the other way it's like the fucking Trump thing Mm -hmm. they're so married to it as an identity now that you're willing to look away and not acknowledge the things that you kind of secretly know that's pretty fucking crap Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they're fascinating as that because if you take it from like the Bill Hicks perspective that early 90s you know you do an advert you're off the artistic roll call sort of standard that they used to seem to come from I mean, when you're watching the year punk broke, it seems to be them mocking the notion of getting that major label deal, them mocking mm-hmm. the notions of these major label bands, and yet they're now doing Marc Jacobs adverts. It's really bizarre. Do you know what's funny, though, is that we've got to the stage in Western society, and it's only taken us about 55 years since uh, the Cultural Revolution of the 60s, where we've completely eaten ourselves, and mm-hmm. the co- like. the concept of cool would be so absurd to somebody in Victorian England or in the Roman <laughs> times because they were just trying to fucking survive. Yeah. And the fact that cool as a concept, just trying to be cooler. Like it's a very it, philosophical idea. Ve- yeah, yeah, it is a very philosophical idea. And it's some sort of fulfillment that we didn't know we needed <laughs> until we were so comfortable and fucking lazy as a society that we'd got beyond trying to feed ourselves, got beyond trying to, you know, do all of those things yeah. of trying to survive and we're like I'm going to create a new concept I'm going to be cooler than my neighbour <laughs> it is quite religious as well because the, it was created out of nothing mm-hmm. effectively it was just summoned as a concept mm-hmm. and then the power to grant it was sort of placed in the hands of people that are now quarrelling over the ability and to, it's also been an interesting battle between art and between business yeah. Because brands have always tried to be cool, but then art has always been cool. And undermining each other. Yeah, You exactly. know, artists mocking business for trying to be cool, business co-opting artists to try and then be cool. Yeah. Sometimes the same artists, as in this case. Yeah. yeah that's really interesting as well. I and it's so old and cynical having this discussion, because there's obviously a lot of optimistic people out there who think that this doesn't compromise them at all. Yeah. Know? But or they possibly and, know it and does, you know and they're just... No, I don't, think, I don't think it's hypocrisy in thinking that way. I think that's totally fine. But the thing is, right, you can be both. You can have both thoughts. So here's a theory, right? Sonic Youth doing adverts is a way of them acknowledging that they're part of a lifestyle package Mm -hmm. because it's branding. You know, it's not an artistic message. Like they're embracing their image as something that they now acknowledge is inherently worthy of some value, monetary value, by association. They're selling it to a company, and they're therefore embracing themselves as a commodity of sorts. Mm -hmm. So, like, they are going beyond like they, they are getting to a point where they know it they know what they're doing they're just either they don't care or they're assuming like i said they have enough collateral yeah. to, to to push through it and by sonic youths in sonic youths case they seem to be proven right they it's do seem to, both, get away to be honest man probably is both because they probably don't care because they, they've always done what they want to do and haven't cared about it i think i think the real interesting thing is the distinction between when a band like sonic youth who are considered to be very cool do something like that and a band like kiss do something like that whose entire fucking life is who's like merchandised at their fucking ass. Like can can be anywhere, can do anything. And that's obviously who they are. That's always been part of who they are. The it's, commercial it, aspect of it, the the the, the toy yeah, figures, well, so, all yeah, that aspect like, of it has um, always been a thing. Sonic Youth are probably you know, each of them earn probably quite a lot of money, enough to survive on from just untouched Sonic Youth records sold in Urban Outfitters yeah. that go yeah. up in condos yeah. and will never yeah. be unpeeled. Yeah, it's true. And it, it's like a cool commodity. Cool mm. commodity? Cool, cool commodity. Commodity. Cool modification. Uh, that is just an icon of you being a person that 
thinks a little bit outside of the box. I mean, they fucking won. They they won. Yeah. They won the cool game. Yeah, like, they completed it. Like uh, it's fucking pretty astonishing in that. I mean, my, I wonder what their old, the younger selves would say to their older selves mm-hmm. like, when they see those adverts. I wonder how that would. Uh, Do you know what band I kept thinking of as a sort of counterpoint? And it was interesting. They actually had a couple of near crossovers. Uh, the Fall. I kept yeah. thinking of The Fall. They're really influenced by The Fall because The well. Fall yeah. were there a little bit before they were doing it in Britain. This sort of post-punk thing. And the fall were never together enough to have this sort of artistic vision, and they yeah. somehow just did it anyway. I Ma- feel Marky like Smith's too much a sociopath to do that anyway. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Marky Smith, Marky Smith is mad as a fucking box of frogs, but and he never tried to be cool. But if you're actually looking at an in-depth concept of what's cool, surely that makes Marky Smith and the Fall cooler. Than Sonic Youth. I'll tell you one thing it doesn't though is Marky Smith's treatment of women. Well, no, exactly. Um, and one thing that. that Sonic Youth do deserve massive props for it, Kim Gordon mainly, mm-hmm. is what they did for young women wanting to mm. get into rock music and what they did for young women's self esteem in music. And, you know, far be it from us three cis white males to sit here and tell women how uh, much Kim Gordon did for them. But I think most people I know who are in bands would agree she's fucking iconic mm-hmm. as like just an excellent confident groundbreaking yeah. uh, alternative musician uh, and a real pioneer i think for women in that field yeah i mean you can't you just cool as fuck you know her, <laughs> her, her, her and kim deal the, yeah. the, the two of them are just amazing and it, you know if you were a young woman wanting to get into that music I, you can totally mm-hmm. see how you'd be like that's that is the shit and they did a lot for that uh something that marky smith definitely didn't do just um, to underline the whole cool thing like Kim Gordon calling her biography a girl in a band is like the like it kind of sums up like the whole cool thing, right? It's like because she's not just a girl in a band. He's fucking Kim Gordon. <laughs> it's blase. It's Gen yeah. X. You know, but it's a Gen X thing, man. Yeah. It's like yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, totally. It's like well, don't be so blase about it. You're fucking Kim Gordon. By the way, like. can I can I just um, drop you guys in in a moment that was my young self grappling with this realization of cool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in Sterling, once a year, there used to be an arts festival, largely based around music, called. Le weekend because changing the word the to le makes it oh, automatically I, cool. I've I've been to Le Weekend <laughs> so, as a nineteen year old student and oh that was pretty cool. So, <laughs> I went to the, the Cowan Centre in Stirling to see and I couldn't believe it when I saw it was happening. Uh, as a young fucking Nirvana devotee, mm-hmm. uh, Lee Ronaldo played the Cowan Centre in Stirling. Goodness right? me. And I went to that, and it's an all-seated thing, really quite small. Like, you're probably only talking about 100 seats or something like that, maybe 140, something like that. And um, I was just going out my bin with excitement that like, I can't believe this is happening, what a coup. I can't believe I got into here. And it's maybe, like, some, like, 100 guitar pedals on the floor, uh, and then a drummer, this this really rotund black drummer who was just like, yeah, woo, uh, yeah, just like really expressive while he was playing, who was by far and away the best thing about it because all Lee Ronaldo did was like play feedbacked fucking white noise and like run a cassette machine through about 100 guitar pedals. Yeah. And I was sitting there and imagine... 
time lapse image set that over an hour of my face <laughs> dropping <laughs> to, from like pure glee and excitement when yeah. it started to what the fuck is going on here? When, when is he going to play a song? I went, <laughs> Ali and I went to do a little feature on the weekend when we were doing student radio. And we got invited down to this uh, performance and it was a band called, or a group called Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. That's actually a sentence. Yeah, that's the longest sentence of repeated words. But the artist was called that. And uh, it was in an underpass just near Stirling Hospital. and That's where I grew up. In that underpass. And Buffalo, Buffalo... Buffalo etc did a one hour performance two tracks and they were both studies of uh, concrete and track one which lasted about 32 minutes was a tape recording of a cement mixer which is then played through an amp and uh, the other member just moved forward to the crowd and said the word concrete several times and then track 28 I think it was the same, but backwards. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Stirling Royal Infirmary uh, underpasses were not the best acoustics for so that's hey, like anything. It's like music. Other than getting beaten up. Music concrete. But literally. But literally concrete. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> about, about concrete. It's like about concrete. <laughs> um, so right. I, th- I suppose we've discussed Sonic Youth are cool, eh, guys? They're yeah, so yeah, cool. Man, you so know what we should talk about this By album? By the way, can I just say though? Is this the coolest album? Are we the coolest podcast? Because we talk about things that people aren't really that into and they've missed. So I think that makes us really cool. You know what's really not fucking cool? Have you ever seen uh, Last Days? Uh, no, I've seen it, End of Days uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Gus, no, Gus Van Sant, part of his... his Trilogy of films along one of the dog ones. along with Elephant. All oh, right, um, and it's the one about Kurt Cobain killing himself, and it's Michael, what's his name, that plays him. Oh yeah, uh, and in that film, Kim Gordon, who was friends with Nirvana, um, somehow manages via her association with Gus Van Sant to shoehorn herself into like maybe the last person to see Cobain alive when she turns up at his house as like I think she's playing a record executive, even though she's Kim Gordon. It's so fucking lame. It is like it's it's almost it as uncool? bad as that time that uh, Josh Holm put himself in the couch for the Bataclan interview with Vice TV and the Eagles of Death Metal. Mm. It's that level of oh fuck off. It's very uncool, but she st- survived that as well. Still got through it. Jim Jarmusch, by the way, hopefully will not survive the dead don't die. <laughs> I really want to see because I've heard because I've heard it's no, dreadful. it's just it's, it's fucking yeah. abysmal. Anyway, so rather ripped. Um, this is a cool record now. I don't mean I don't mean in the sense we were talking about cool, but this is actually a cool record. Yeah. So this got two percent in that Guardian vote that I was saying about earlier on uh, amongst their fans, as to illustrate how fucking overlooked I feel it actually is. But two percent of fans think it's their best record. It got it's not yeah, like claim. it's not like two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It's no, still no. a two percent of of Sonic Youth fans think this is their best. Got a lot record. of critical acclaim yeah. when it came out. Um, it's not their best album, I agree, but it's the most maligned and the most under-acknowledged, I would say. Um, it gets right what the likes of Murray Street were sort of hinting at. The songs in it are shorter, which I think is a, a big plus. Uh, the production on it is really pretty good, which is a big plus with Sonic Youth Records. It's like one of the only Sonic Youth Records that works in a car as a result. And it's really, I think, overall really well-structured. It could probably have lost a couple of tracks, but it's only 12 as I say, because they're shorter, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It embraces melody and hooks uh, in a way that I think is really, really beneficial 
to an otherwise still quite adventurous sonic palette. There's a lot of adventure with Lee Ronaldo in particular doing some strange processing of his guitar, but they just have tempered it very, very well this time around. And I think it's perverse that it was sort of criticised for capturing what I think are ironically some of the most fondly remembered moments from earlier in their career as I mentioned Candle is probably a good example but also the uh, Tough Narrow from Sister the optimism of that song is very mm-hmm. present in this album Dirty Boots the singability of that song is on this album even sing, not even just singing the vocals but singing the guitar lines you I was know, going to mention that yeah. the little ditties uh, and Wish Fulfillment the kind of that song which I think is arguably their best song uh, overall uh, the melancholy tunefulness of that song is echoed here as well because this song does go into minor keys every yeah. so often and it's nice it's got an urgency a kind of a, a romantic but it's interesting flavor. that uh, you're talking about this it, like is this album only good because it calls back to other things but then I suppose that's fine you're allowed to do that because yeah, th- th- you've got to take it in the context that it was released well, well um, Daydream Nation is a long album it was a yeah. double record and uh, this is a much more succinct encapsulation of that side of their personality, I think. Um, Rena, first track, is immediately buoyant. Yeah, I mean, like, there's not even a like, yeah. second gap on there. It Straight- kicks in and it's... And it's upbeat. Kim's vocals in that song are great. Mm-hmm. Like she actually like really engagement, not doing her weird druggy sort of spoken word thing, which does work, but it also often doesn't work. There's some points in Dirty that are almost unlistenable where she gets bizarre with her singing. Um, the stereo panner in this album, I think, really brilliantly highlights Lee Ronaldo and Thurston Moore's guitar interplay as well, if you listen to it in the headphones. Uh, and around about the two-minute mark in this, there's a drum shift where it goes into a much more typically sonic yeah. youth, kind of toms-based thing. Yeah, that, that tom fill in the middle eight is, is awesome, man. It's, it's already got quite a driving rhythm, but it kind of doubles down on it towards yeah, the end. Yeah, and then it cool. bursts back out of it, back into the song again. Track two in it, Incinerate, I think is probably their, it was easily their best single in a, years and years and years mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and I get, it has that brilliant, ba-da-boom intro, like it just, just comes in so nicely again, um, really hooky guitar work as well yeah, the, the, it, the, guitar, the guitar the guitar melody is the chorus there's no vocal chorus yeah, there, yeah exactly uh, the vocals were quite um, pastelsy actually got quite a lot of like that sort of Pastels, even I hate like the pastels, but I'll take your word sort of stuff. <laughs> but then there was also a lot of Trailer Dead mixed in there. Yeah, well, which is it. interesting because then you're like, oh, Trailer Dead got that from them, but not from this. 
So, yeah, see when you hear, like, Mark David Chapman, that kind of side of Trailer Dead, you can yeah. hear the Sonic Youth. Yeah. You can hear where it came from, you can hear the kind of feedback loop as well happening mm-hmm. uh, between the two bands or between the, the two sounds. I thought this song was a bit too long, though. It loses, it kind of loses momentum towards the end, I think. It probably should have stopped maybe, like, a minute, half a minute earlier, I think. Yeah, as a single, maybe. Um, Yeah, I guess, but it's still a hell of a lot shorter than Sonic Youth's typical song, yeah. like, you know. The third track, Do You Believe in Rapture, I think is a really well chosen track for this point in the album. Like, because the first two tracks are quite driving, they're quite sort of similar in pace and feel, and then you have this song that is super lethargic. For the first, what was it, 40 seconds, mm-hmm. a minute, it's like that. It kind of teases that something's about to happen with those little harmonic ring offs, and then that chorus bit that comes in is so beautiful, so sweet. Um, but then it drops out again back into the lethargy. It's a song that kind of keeps getting going and then dropping like a, like, a, like a plane that can't quite take off, but I really like that about it. it. It brings the pace down without sounding completely incongruous in relation to the other things. Um, and it is that sort of stoned Generation X side of the band as well that I think is good to represent at this point and yeah. shows they're not being too commercial. Mm. It feels like uh, Thurston Moose just holding court in this song, guitar and vocal, you know, which is pretty nice. Um Track four, sleeping around, obviously a lot more upbeat. I'm not it's not my favourite song by Sonic Youth, but it does recall a lot of their earlier stuff and so I think it's a little bit of a shout out. Yeah, it's to a little f- bit noisier. Yeah. Like, okay, Even tonally though, I think it's a shout out to fans of the band, like we've not forgotten that stuff. It's got this kind of really muddy, bluesy tone in the guitar. It is more conventional, uh the noisy bridge especially is very, very Sonic Youth, classic Sonic Youth. And it's actually got an actual solo in it as well, which doesn't really happen too often with them. The fifth track, What a Waste. Kim Gordon song, really pacey. It's the first time in this album that the vocal echoes the guitar line, you know, where the singing is just basically copying what the guitar's playing in the left earphone. Um, and it has another really old school Sonic Youth chorus, but a really, really nice melodic bridge in the middle. Definitely, her voice mm-hmm. is so good in this song. I noticed on this record all of our songs seem to give the album a harder edge mm-hmm. yeah they often do that you know it's you know, weird like that, that it is it's when Kim Gordon comes in that mm-hmm. often these albums get really at their most out there mm-hmm. you know she was far from you know any tropes about you know the, the softer female voice 
Kim Gordon usually was the one that ramped up Sonic Youth stuff. Yeah. Um, jams run free. It's just slacker rock embodied. It's just like it's a huge Generation X sort of tropey. Yeah, there's a thousand thing. bands in Glasgow right now that sound like that. Exactly. Yeah, it it's really so like, interesting. See, entire movements in cities like Leeds and cities like Bristol and cities like Brighton, even up here, the Winning Sperm Party label, all that kind of scene. Mm-hmm. It's like this is the sound of that art rock scene. And yeah, I get like it does sometimes. It's indulgent. It is what it is. You know, some people hate it. I can't say I always love it. It it has a lot of hits and a lot of misses, but it's something easy to get people into music. And yeah, you know, it's about performance often more than records. Um, Rats is the first time, track seven, that uh, Lee Ronaldo takes a helmet. When the rats run riot and the screen door slams, when the trees grow quiet. It's the only time in this album, mm-hmm. although he's done it on other songs and other tracks, and often quite good songs. A track called Moat on one of their earlier yeah, albums is a really fucking good song. So I've, I've made a playlist actually of a lot of these tracks that I've name checked. Um, it's my favourite song on the record. I think Lee's voice is much better than. And Thurston Wills. Rats is your favourite song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's nastier as well. It's, it's a bit it's a bit noisier, a bit more It's a bit more fugazi. Yeah. yeah, it feels quite timeless, I think. You know, yeah. some of the songs on the record feel quite dated. Yeah. But this song feels like it's out of time, like it's in that it's in its own yeah. space. Yeah, I definitely know. got that. You don't see anything at all. There's a lot of howling noise in this one. See, see when people are talking about this album being too sweet, when you listen to what's going on in the background of this song, it's like, that's, that is Sonic Youth. There, there's a lot, it's maybe slightly lower in the mix, I'll give them that, Yeah. but it is still there. There's still a lot of fuzz and feedback and weird yeah. modulated mm-hmm. stuff happening there. Um, and I also think Kim's bass line in this is really good. It really yeah. propels it and it's quite it's aggressive. It's quite high in the tone. mix as well, which yeah. really, really helps. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I, we mentioned this before, we talk about it often, but it has a pure British feel as well, that song. All right, yeah. You, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Ineffable sort of British feel to a song, which is different from an American feel. Yeah, I never really yeah. caught that because I was definitely but getting Fugazi vibes. But maybe that stems for Lee taking the helm in this one, though. Yeah. Um, Turquoise Boy, the eighth one. I think it's a bit of a. Like it's kind of like a little chill kind of window in the album. This was the one that took a while to grow in me, but I did really start to warm to the song. It's deceptively minor in feel, but then drifts nicely between the mm-hmm. sort of sense of optimism and pessimism. And I think it's a good pacer without being pointless. It's a nice pacer in the yeah. record. Um, I it's think like a delic feeling as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they, and they do that at times. Like some of the early stuff, obviously, is very psychedelic. Whereas this is l- hinting at that. But being a little bit more tempered, it's a bit more the argument, if we're talking for Gaz examples, and a bit less uh, steady diet, that kind of noisier end of things. Lights Out, track nine, is okay. Lights out for you. Lights out for you. There's not a hell of a lot you can do. 
this is probably one I would have dropped for the record. I think it sort of doesn't do anything that the other stuff couldn't have accounted for. The vocals follow the guitar line, which, as we said, is already the been done. The bass as well, does it? Yeah, uh, and I think it's a pretty M.O.R. by Sonic Youth standards song. I don't think that it doesn't really brings anything to the party. Um, the neutral, track 10, it's a decent song with some nice arrangements. I think the guitar tones in this one are really good, although I don't think it's massively hooky. Um, I thought the chorus was cool, though. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, and it and it does contribute to the overall sense of upbeat kind of optimism that defines this record, which stands in contrast to some of their other stuff. Because mm-hmm. it is quite an upbeat and quite a buoyant album, and it's tracks like this that really help kind of give it that feel. Track 11, Pink Steam, is fucking brilliant. Should have ended the album, though. That is yeah, that was such I've got that by far my favourite track on this song. That that was the first one I heard of this album. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually my friend Emma Smith who plays drums in the band Hairband that um, first put me onto this record. Because I drifted away from Sonic Youth, even though I wasn't ever massively into them. Yeah. A couple in a row that just, I was like, I'm not fucking going back there. And Emma had said, look, check this out. And Pink Steam was the track that really stuck with me. Yeah. A really, really beautiful intro. That little ultra delicate little harmonic be- intro. particle mm-hmm. reverb and that is one of my favourite guitar effects ever. I've got that in a Line 6 pedal, which I use, which I would use all the time if I could find an actual use for it. And that's a, <laughs> it's a great use for it because it just... It's got the, the reverb then it's just a mad trail of sound which it's beautiful sounds out. amazing. So man. nice. Yeah. And then they shift out of that though into this quite dramatic, quite mm. melodramatic mm. kind of like mm. minor, kind of more aggressive thing. Um, it's the longest track in the record by some way but I love the fact that it goes into that instrumental... That's where you hear the kind of Trilla Dead, that's where you hear the Mogwai Young team thing happening. It's yeah. really fucking good. And it's just packed full of good guitar bits, that song as well. Yeah. Well, really it's so creepy too, man. F- tone of the vocal it comes in late and it just feels kind of quite menacing, mm-hmm. which I quite like. And the name alone. Yeah. I love the name. Yeah. We actually, so my old band had a song called Pink Steam. Mm-hmm. And the way we got that song was that we all wrote 20 random words on shreds of paper mm-hmm. and pulled them out of a hat. And genuinely, we ended and up with a song with called Pink Steam. Pink Steam. Mm-hmm. And then that was when Emma was like, there's a track called Pink Steam in that new record. I was like, fuck off, no way. <laughs> uh, I assumed they didn't get it by the same method, or that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, now, I, I get what you're saying about that being the last song, but I've, 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 Or has really grown to me. So the final track, Or, which is very subdued, mm-hmm. very dreamy, really pretty, really easily overlooked... Once I've been f- f- 
for the purposes of this, force myself to really engage that song. It's grown on me a lot. I really like that little tune. I it's hate re- it so much. Oh, it's so subtly written, though. I mean, it's just not typically them. And I, I do appreciate that about it, which is probably one of the reasons that other people didn't. Um, but yeah, a tough act to follow, following Pink Steam. And I think for the sake of brevity of the album, yeah, it could probably have been sacrificed, but I don't fall out with it massively. Mm. But I guess, I mean, as your first full Sonic Youth album to be exposed to, how did you find it? I liked it way more than I thought I would. Like, I actually enjoyed it in, in a lot of places. I was actually a bit disappointed that Or was the last song. Like, I disliked it so much. Mm. For the most part, I think most of the songs worked. Pink Steam, definite highlight. Rats, I loved Rats. I think Lee's got the best voice. All, all the Sonic Youth stuff that I sort of dabbled in, his voice is just <laughs> great. His songwriting, I think, is just better than Moore's, but I think that's probably because he's a lot more darker. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I do think Moat, one of his other ones, is one of their best tunes as well. Yeah, definitely. If what be you? I wanted it to be a bit noisier. Uh huh. Um, as did most of ninety eight percent of their fans. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, but I did, I did really like it. I was, uh, I maybe just wrapped myself up too much in trying to work out what context I took it in because I was like, oh, I recognise a bit of that, but I obviously recognise that from a band that they themselves have influenced. But, I mean, overall, yeah, I did really like it. I thought it was a really strong record. I wish it was just a little bit noisier. I think if I was, you know, having quickly gone through the discography, the ones that, like, the sound that I liked best uh, was probably Dirty. Yeah. I can and I think it, that's yeah. probably the one I'd go back to. Dirty's noisy, but it's got the high production values mm. of, like, yeah. Vig. Uh, and, and I don't and care I think, if it's uncool. That's, pro- that's the one that I was just like, oh, yeah, that, that's yeah. caught me. It's definitely that not a choice. Timeless as well. It feels like it, feels like it is in its own space and time. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like an 90s record. Yeah. You know, which is which is why I like Dirty a lot as well. But it does have some... some I have to say... Mm. Moments on it. Yeah, but I don't think it's Dirty's... Got some, it's got some crap at the end. But I don't think Dirty's unsung, apart from maybe by Pitchfork, because they'll probably say it's shit, but... Um, I think Goo is the other one I would probably put forward, but Goo does yeah. tend to feature pretty high on the list. I mean, Goo was like in about four and five on the list. I, th- I think this it, was like fifteen. On yeah, some I think of the it's lists. fair to say that in everything between sort of eighty six and ninety two that they did is not unsung. Yeah, at least by the alternative. What I can't press. get my head around is, I mean, even based on your reactions, it's pretty obvious that this featured in fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, and lists of Sonic Youth albums when we all know. That there's a lot of shite on a lot of Sonic Youth albums is pretty ridiculous mm-hmm. and that's kind of why I was determined even though I fully concede it's probably not their best record and stuff like Daydream Nation and stuff like Dirty made a much bigger impact it's ridiculously maligned it's that do you know what it stands out from pretty much the, the entire second half of the discography mm-hmm. in that it's it's a good record that it's you want to listen record. to absolutely uh, it's a um, record and you can it, put on and in it a might car. well hark back to a lot of the you know the early stuff that made them good, and then it also strips away a lot of the Sonic stuff that people are expecting. But like, yeah, it feels like they've learned rather than they're just ploughing their own furrow. It's mature in a good way, I think. Yeah. Um, and also, it's funny that we were doing the, the mixtape, the driving mixtape, the, the road trip last week, because this does have songs in it that are great Absolutely. for driving mm-hmm. soundtracks. And there's not a lot of Sonic good stuff. Not really. That I falls mean, into that category. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think like Teenage Riot is obviously a classic yeah, that goes on, and that there's a and couple cool more. Thing and Sugar but King, like, but yeah, this this record is like influenced by those standout tracks rather than just being yeah. fucking scuzzy. Well, Mercy, this was them going back to just trying to strip down rock songs. That's mm-hmm. what the, that's what the, the goal was with this record after after a rock lift. Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. And they were like, we wanted to go back and just do something which was simple for us. Yeah. By it, the way, it works. The, the album after this, Eternal. 
isn't up to much mm. at all. So well, I'm happy to happens. put it in. I think Me I too. think in the spirit of unsung, this is the record that probably should go in. Yes, this is the uncool. I feel good about record, this one so. because I really yeah. feel this fits the the remit of the podcast well. Yeah, I don't think fans are going to take it though. <laughs> Fuck fans, but. Yeah, <laughs> we might be having a discussion about an Osonic Youth record in the future. <laughs> um, so it's now that time of uh, the podcast. It's no longer in the middle, it's at the end. Uh, it is the Nexus. Man. This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store this for us? Not good for- Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you, this is what you want. I mean, it would have been pretty easy if it was a Dave Grohl Nexus. So we pulled this yeah. one out of the hat, and that was weeks ago now, yeah. but we pulled uh, Idi Amin, Amin. <laughs> <laughs> which was actually my choice mm-hmm. uh, way back. Uh, Idi Amin to Sonic Youth. Cool, so uh, who's going first for this one then? Sure, oh, picks, it's so my sure. week. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, so, uh, yep, bear with me. Uh, as I mentioned, and it, honestly, it fucking cracks me up, Sonic Youth released the Hits of Her Squares Best Of for Starbucks Records. Uh, it was actually the way they, they came out, they came to the conclusion of those that Best Of list was that they got celebrities and friends. Of course they did. <laughs> fucking hipster motherfuckers to pick the track. So it's like people like Gus Van Sant and Beck and Chloe Savini and Diablo Cody and Portia de Rossi and all kinds of fucking other hangers on and cool people. Generation X hipsters. So Starbucks former CEO Mr. Howard Schultz pulled out of his 2020 Democratic presidential candidate run uh, not so long ago as much maligned <laughs> potential candidate run. Um, <laughs> I imagine. All kinds of weird things happen around that. There was a, there was a Twitter account that sprung up called uh, Blacks for Schultz which it turned out was a fake account some obviously the right wing alleged that it was some opponents on the left as well alleged that it was Schultz trying to set up fake accounts showing that there was black support for him. Mm-hmm. Others said actually looking at the the data of the account, it looked more like it was the beginning of a, a misinformation campaign from the you know the IRA, the Russian organization that helped interfere in yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, twenty sixteen yeah. elections. Um, and the, the theory was that um, Schultz's candidacy was going to really benefit uh, Donald Trump. In 2016, that same Donald Trump publicly defended uh, Vladimir Putin in Russia in relation to the poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko. Mm-hmm. Uh, the in Salisbury. No, no that, oh no, where was Litvinenko? That was in London, wasn't Litvinenko it? Litvinenko was in London. Yeah, um, that's right. And um, know, you're thinking of yeah, Skripal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Novichok thing. So Litvinenko was poisoned with something called polonium-210 uh, in London. Uh, Donald Trump said, many people say it wasn't Putin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a robust defence. Of course, yeah. Fucking that, clown shoe. That really helps. Uh, implicated in that were Andrei Lugovoy and Dmitry Kovtun, I think his name's pronounced. Uh, both were ex-KGB uh, and Polonium 2010 was found in three hotel rooms, in fact, I think four hotel rooms that they'd occupied, and the flights, including 
hotel rooms that they'd been in before the poisoning when they'd met with Alexander Litvinenko in London for tea. Apparently the, the polonium was slipped into his tea. Chris, are we going to be yeah. on a list now? Uh, possibly. Are you we're, on we're not already on a list, <laughs> yeah. come on. Um, anyway, the polonium was apparently slipped into his tea uh, because they had to evacuate the hotel, uh, the Millennium Hotel in London, um, because they found it in the kitchens and it was obviously extremely fucking dangerous as Mr. Litvinenko, who died later, found out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Alexander Litvinenko was poisoned and killed with polonium 2010. You want to know somebody else who, after his death, they discovered totally abnormal levels of polonium 2010 in his body and on his clothes. Was it Eddie Amin? Yasser Arafat. Oh, <laughs> jump too far. Yasser Arafat was the subject of all manner of conspiracy theories around yeah. his death. About some people for a long time said it was AIDS, all kinds of stuff about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yasser Arafat, who was the chairman of the PLO and the president of uh, the PNA, the Palestinian National Authority, I think it's the acronym for. And after his death, both French and Swiss investigations and kind of autopsies found abnormal uh, and potentially fatal levels of polonium-2010 on his clothes, which was the one of the favourite radioactive poisons of uh, the Russian authorities. Funnily enough, the Russian investigation found nothing of the sort. It's weird, that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it seems very likely that Yasser Arafat could well have been poisoned uh, with polonium 2010 and in 1975 Yasser Arafat was the best man at a two million pound wedding between a go-go dancer called Sarah, suicide Sarah mm-hmm. Kiolaba uh, who was part of the revolutionary suicide mechanised regiment band and the yeah, Mr. They're playing at Sleazy's tonight actually. And the Mr. Idi Amin. There you are. Yasser Arafat was Idi Amin's best man for fuck's sake. That is mental. That is pretty And uh, by the way, Idi Amin and Suicide Sarah had four kids and used to regularly go rally driving together. Um, And after they were married, her ex-boyfriend, who had very quickly fled to Kenya, went missing uh, and people said, in Donald Mm -hmm. Trump's parlance, that he was captured and beheaded. By the way, do you know, did you guys find out Idi Amin's official title as part of the research? Oh yeah, of course. Hey, uh, do you want to do it or will I? The Butcher of Uganda? <laughs> uh, no, Idi, Idi, I think you'll find Idi, that it is His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Al-Hadiji, Dr. Idi Amin, Dada, VC, DSO, MC, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular, <laughs> and, and also King of Scotland, yeah. last King of Scotland. Yeah, yeah. he, he uh, volunteered to invade Scotland to get rid of the English. He said that a black man could go to a door in Scotland and be welcomed and treated like a human, but in England he'd be treated like a monkey and uh, something else. I can't remember what the word he was he used. But yeah, butcher of Uganda, much more accurate. Between one and five hundred thousand victims estimated under him. Uh, a guy who apparently cannibalised his rivals yep. mm-hmm. although some people say oh that's just uh, mythology but said he cannibalised his rivals to kind of absorb their power and who when he found out his wife was pregnant to another man uh, hacked her into pieces mm-hmm. fucking truly truly awful human beings so how did you guys join that fucking slice of shit to uh, Sonic Youth it was a good thing you mentioned the last king of Scotland <laughs> <laughs> um, so Sonic Youth are a band as we found out. <laughs> Groundbreaking yeah, stuff. Yeah. And in that band, there was a man 
called Jim O'Rourke, which you who we've discussed. Did you just call him Jim? Jim. Jim O'Rourke. Yeah, he was French. He was French, aye. Did you not see him at the weekend? <laughs> uh, Sorry, David, I don't speak French. What does the weekend mean? <laughs> Jim O'Rourke worked as a musical consultant on a 2003 film, School of Rock. Fuck. And what she taught the child actors how to put in the movie how to play the songs. Oh, there you go. He was supposed to have a cameo. That would be a Dave Grohl nexus right there. Yeah, he totally. was supposed to have a cameo in the film, but was but couldn't do it because he was on tour with Sonic. Yes, <laughs> Joan Cusack uh, plays a principal in School of Rock. Mm-hmm. She also appears in the film Arthur Christmas. No relation, by the way. No relation to me. All right, no, I thought you meant <laughs> the other Cusack, you know, the good one. <laughs> uh, she was in Arthur Christmas, which is a actually really good film uh, if you if you like kids' films and Christmas uh, and. Arthur and himself is voiced by a Mr. James McAvoy, who was also in the film The Last King of Scotland. Yeah. But Idi Amin was played by Forrest Whitaker. True. Uh, Sonic Youth, so beyond their main discography that we talked about, they also did their SYR series of mm. weird art. They had a bunch of stuff did in, in the fish tank as well, which mm-hmm. is actually pretty good. Yeah. And they had, oh, what was that fucking mad album they did under like Chicone Youth or something with mm-hmm. Mike Watt as well? They've done a bunch of stuff and destroyed room as well as a collection of LBCs and stuff. But they've got some. They've got a lot of extended catalog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So SYR four came out in nineteen ninety nine, and it was a double al- album of versions of pieces by uh, weird avant garde composers um, throughout the, of the twentieth century. Uh, people like John Cage, uh, Steve Reich, um, and they covered voice piece for soprano by uh, Miss Yoko Ono. Mm. Uh, Yoko Ono Famously Has a house in Uganda Does anybody know <laughs> Anybody know who Yoko Ono used to be married to That's right it's Mr Ono Mr Ono, <laughs> Mr. ono um, So Yoko Ono Obviously uh, Married to John Lennon Cancelled <laughs> Yeah exactly um, The Beatles Were the band that John Lennon was in Also featuring a Mr yeah. Ringo Starr Not even the best drummer in the Beatles mm. Uh, Ringo Starr's son Zach Richard Starkey has played drums as well and played drums in The Who since 1996 mm-hmm. he's also played uh, drums for British rock legends Oasis nice mm-hmm. uh, now since 2007 there's been a I know Chris is always really into it the Christmas advert for John Lewis oh yeah uh, and in 2000 what what year was it 2007 you said uh yeah no no in 2015 oasis's old b-side half the world away was featured uh sung by a norwegian singer aurora and then that was the advert where there was like an old guy on the moon or something i don't know um and people went oh isn't it so sad i always cry the john lewis said oh (laughs) fuck off (laughs) Um, anyway, John Lewis and Waitrose are part of the same congl- conglomerate. Yeah, the John Lewis partnership, I believe. Yeah. Now they have an ethics committee, and <laughs> a founding member of the Waitrose Supermarkets uh, Ethics Committee and an advisor to John Lewis on human rights is a Mr. Paul Val Valelli. Now Paul Valelli is a British writer <laughs> on religion ethics. Development issues and Africa, and Paul Vallely famously interviewed a Mr. Bob Assels or Robert Assels 
Uh, is that the wee? Is that a uh, Amin's rat? Is that the guy? And Bob Assles was uh, the British colonel who then became Eddie Amin's most trusted yeah, right hand man. Amin's rat, yeah. And yeah, inside a Ugandan prison, Paul Valelli did an interview with um, Bob Assel, and yeah, it's all mad seventies and eighties shit. Yeah, but uh, he's, yeah, yeah, he's he's a pretty detestable guy. Yeah, he seemed to be the only man that I mean trusted because he was because I mean thought he was the only person that wasn't after his kingdom of yeah. beasts on the, of the earth and fishes in the sea. Yeah, and he watched it all go down. Yeah, mm-hmm. sat there in exchange for loads of big parties. Yeah, and a nice big white Mercedes. Wow. That so was there you are. fucking the 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 John Lewis ethics committee is about mm-hmm. as obscure as we've ever got. <laughs> I think. Well, there you are. Uh, I like that one. Try and go as, yeah. through as many supermarket ethics committees as we can in the following weeks. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Well, All right. So I had, I had fun talking about Sonic Youth. Um, see, before we leave the weekend altogether, mm-hmm. uh, just to point out that in that same year, I went to the weekend and met Lee Ronaldo. I met two of what I thought were like my personal heroes, right? Lee Ronaldo and uh, Eugene Kelly of the Vaselines, both Nirvana adjacent bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eugene Kelly was a total cunt. <laughs> a total cunt to to me. I was quite young at the time, believe it or not, and just a fucking ignorant prick. And Lee Ronaldo was really nice, even though I was kind of lying about how much I enjoyed his show when I said <laughs> So there you go. We've all, well, done, you we've all done that. Uh, so we do have to pick an X's for next week. Yeah, and we have to um, find out, what, to Mark's find out what, yeah, what album are so, you doing? So Mark week, folks. Brace yeah. yourselves. I'm going to do uh, Modern Life Is War. Their album, Witness. Witness, mm-hmm. you say? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I know nothing about that. I think I downloaded that back in the day. Is that hardcore? It's hardcore. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Produced uh, by Kurt Ballou, Blues oh, really? and Deathwish. Okay. Um, cool. Artwork by Jake Bannon. All right. Okay. That'll be familiar. It's 27 minutes long, Chris. Oh, jackpot. Yeah. Not 17 albums long. <laughs> and so, um, who do you we, want to choose? Yeah, who are you going to link them to? Russell the Tub. So we've got the Tub of... Uh, you can... There are a few new ones in there, by the way. Are there? Please yeah. keep adding new names, everybody, by the way. Um, just shout them out to us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. So yeah, we need some more names. Or send Carrier Pigeon. So next week's Nexus, we're going to have to... He's unfolding the paper. Oh, we're going to have to connect Modern Life is War to... Echo the Dolphin by Craig Carrick. <laughs> <laughs> Echo the Dolphin. Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> the fake Sega <laughs> Dolphin character from right. the Mega Drive series. He's really taking that concept to the Nexus to its extremes. Yeah, right? that's, that's Craig Carrick. Good on you. Yeah. I wonder, I'm looking forward to that one. Weird. <laughs> there must be a Sega ethics committee <laughs> we can go through. <laughs> Wow, okay. All right, great, thanks. Whew, that was a lot of work. Yep, go and vote on the Facebook page, send us Nexuses. Or, or like, you know, don't, whatever, whatever you want, Generation X, anything goes. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm so cool. You know, just whatever. I don't know. We, do, You can vote, you can not vote. We don't care. So cool. Yeah. Right, well, we suppose we'll maybe be back here next week. You sound like Austin Powers. Yeah, maybe. The music. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.